Good morning, Woodland Hills. Good to see you. Uh, the, the local community, the online community, it's good to uh, be together in this moment, this kingdom moment. Uh, I want to start by, uh, first of all, I'm Greg Boyd. I haven't been here for a couple weeks. So if you're new for the last couple weeks, hi. <laughs> good to meet you. Um, a shout out to uh, Emily, uh, who did such an incredible job the other week. <laughs> Amen. And uh, Dan Kent last week uh, filling in for me. Woo! Emily's was outstanding. Dan was okay too. You know, that was, that was, that was all right. <laughs> I was kidding. No, we're, we're really blessed to have such a, uh, a, a, just a bunch of young folks who are good at preaching and, and, and uh, we have, we, have, we have depth on this team, and I just really appreciate that. Uh, I've been out with this voice issue. People are worried about COVID, but don't worry about COVID that much. It, it, there's this respiratory bug going around. I know four people have gotten this, and three of us have lost our voice. You just, like, completely lost it for, uh, for a couple weeks. And as you can tell, it's still kind of in the process of coming back. My doctor tells me that I should talk as little as possible and as soft as possible, neither of which I'm any good at. So... So we'll, we'll see how this goes, but I'm going to try to kind of keep it on the mellow here this morning. Though it's tough because this topic just always gets me really jazzed, excited. <laughs> um, I also like to register a complaint against the universe. <laughs> One of the reasons I quit cigars, I've been nine weeks now without any cigars. Woo! I'm so righteous, I can't stand myself. And... Uh, one of the reasons is because smoking cigars, it, it, it uh, inflames your vocal cords. It, it gives you a raspy voice. So I quit cigars, and how do I get rewarded? I, get a, I lose my voice for four weeks. <laughs> There's no justice in this universe, crying out loud. You think that I get rewarded for my great self-sacrificial act by having this robust voice of clarity, but nope. Instead comes this raspiness, but it's getting better, so... Praise God for that. Um, had a, um, I want to say this before I get into the message. Uh, I and, and, and Rob Kistler and, and Shauna Bourne were able to attend the Jesus Collective Gathering this last week. Uh, it's called Unite 22. And uh, Jesus Collective is just this group that we're, it's a group of people who have been on the same journey that we, Woodland Hills, have been on for 15 years. And uh, it's just people waking up to the, the beauty of Jesus' kingdom. And, and it's a Jesus-looking God raising up a Jesus-looking people to change the world in a Jesus kind of way. And it, it's so refreshing to hang out with these folks. All around the globe, there are people who are getting this vision of, of, of what it means to follow Jesus. And it looks so different from what people have understood Christianity to be. And uh, it's beautiful. And um, we come together and have this gathering. And I, I, I have... I, Physically, I'm just exhausted, but I've, I left that conference feeling more encouraged and more refreshed than I think I've ever left a conference. Uh, it's just, it's great. The aroma of the kingdom is, is all around. And um, oh, I just, I thank God for that, the Jesus Collective. For those of you who are online and, and, and maybe you're out there in an area where you don't have much fellowship with people and, and, and maybe you feel a little kind of crazy because you, your understanding of what, what Jesus came to do and, and who he is and what's going on is so different from maybe uh, what other believers around you are thinking. If, if, if that's you, I encourage you to check out the Jesus Collective. Uh, you're, you're out there, you're looking for a tribe. And this is your tribe of people. I, I encourage you to check it out and see what they have to offer. 
So we are streaming through the Sermon on the Mount. After two and a half years, we're now up to Matthew chapter 7. Hallelujah. And here's, here's what, what uh, we read in Matthew, the first three verses of Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says this. Do not judge. Everybody say that. Do not judge. You know why you don't want to judge? It's so that you may not be judged. You want it to go good for you on the judgment day? Then don't judge. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. I'll unpack a little bit of that next week. Why do you see the speck, a dust particle, in your neighbor's eye? You ever had a dust particle in your eye? It, it, it's, it's like hard, you can't hardly see it. Yeah, yeah. I had one a couple weeks ago, and it's like, Shelly, something in my eye. And you can't see it. Like, you got to really strain hard. And then you find this little tiny, because if you have anything in your eye, it's going to irritate it. It's really small. It's hard to see a dust particle. But we're good at spotting dust particles in people's eyes. Look at that there, right there. You notice that. But Jesus says, but you don't notice the log in your own eye. <laughs> I love it. Teaching. Uh, I'm actually going to teach on that all next week. We're hardly even going to get to it this week. But I wanted you to know the verse that we're, uh, the passages that we're launching off of this, this, this uh, new series. So we're starting this new series. It's about judgment. And it's about love. Because judgment, we'll see here, is the opposite of love. You wouldn't have thought. Most of the people who think that they're very loving on this planet are also very judging. But they don't realize that judgment is the opposite of love. We'll unpack that as the series goes. And so we're calling this series, and it will take about three sermons in this probably five or six week series. It'll, it'll take at least three before you realize how brilliant this title is. But the title of the series is Cross Examination. And it really is a brilliant title. So here's the backstory on this series that we're, we're embarking on here right now. Because it's absolutely, absolutely vitally important. Back in 2002, we started a series called Love and the Knowledge of Good and Evil. And it was going to be a four... It was supposed to be a four-week series, um, and then it turned into an eight-week series, and then it turned into a 12-week series, and then it just went on and on and on. We could not stop. And then when we finally did stop about six months later, we started another series with the exact same subject called Love and Judgment. And this went on for about nine months. Couldn't get off this topic. It was a, a season of revelation. I mean, I, I remember as, as, as it was teaching this, I was just seeing stuff that I'd never seen before, and we were seeing stuff we'd never seen before, about the centrality of love and how important this is. It's the all or nothing of the kingdom life. And um, it just went on and on and on. It was transforming for us as a community. Um, I don't know how many of you were here back then, but, but it was, uh, it was it, 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 it's what helped begin to create at Woodland Hills Church this culture of having love as the highest priority and understanding that that means collapsing all of our judgments about people who haven't invited us to have an opinion on their life. It was transforming. It's why our motto, our central motto, is learning to love together. Because that is, folks, the bullseye. 
the absolute bullseye, the everything of the kingdom life, learning to love together. So that was 20 years ago. Now in the last two, three years since COVID happened, we've actually grown a lot. Uh, not on the in-house attendance, obviously, but in terms of our online community. Praise God, we love you guys who have joined us the last two, three years. It's been wonderful. But we thought that this would be a good opportunity since we're coming to Matthew 7, which is Jesus' teaching on judgment. We thought, well, this is a good opportunity to review that foundation. This teaching, which is the singular, most important, most foundational, most all-encompassing teaching that we have here at Woodland Hills Church about the importance of love. It means that if you've been here for any length of time, this will be review, or at least largely review. I mean, we've got new insights we've acquired in the last 20 years, but on the whole, it will be a review. And I have a particular sort of antipathy or this, this resistance to repeating myself. I, 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 I can't stand preachers when they have the same sermon every week. And um, I resist that, but my team, I've got a team here who helps me put together the sermon series and if they don't help me put it together, they actually do it for me. And so, uh, but they were saying, Greg, uh, this one, don't worry about repeating yourself. You got to lose that concern, not in this series. Because the truth is that repetition is the key to learning. It really is. Repetition is the key to learning. Now, we are all in Western culture here, especially in America, we're conditioned by entertainment. We're used to being entertained. And with entertainment, you always want something new, something, you know, something tantalizing, some, some brain candy, something to chew on, something that's going to stimulate, something that's interesting, curious. Always want something new. Wow, dazzle us. And learning can use entertainment for sure. A little bit of entertainment helps the learning process, but learning is not entertainment. And learning requires repetition. Entertainment resists that. That entertainment part of your brain will say, oh, I, I, love, 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 that's Greg's hobby horse, you know, blah, blah, blah. I heard that before. I got that one and checked it all off. Give you something new to chew on. But see, you think you got it down, but you don't got it down. <laughs> yeah, you can know that you're supposed to love, but how much is it? saturated into your soul, into your inner being. How, how much has it transformed you? Uh, sorry to be the bearing of bad news if this is bad news for you, but if you came for entertainment, I don't want to deliver. I, I, I ain't no entertainer. I, I'm, not, I'm not here for this. If you want a good joke, go to Mall of America on Saturday Night Live in the comedy club. But this is not that. And so this is about learning and about internalizing and absorbing the truth of God's word to be transformed into a different kind of a people. Amen? And uh, it's, it's not about entertainment. So it's not primarily about information. In fact, information-wise, this series is pretty simple. You want the information? Here's the information. God is love, and God created us to be recipients of that love, and to overflow with that love towards all others. Do it. There. there that's the series. Right there. God bless you guys. See you in six weeks. 
But see, the challenge isn't to understand that. We all understand that. The challenge is to become that. To really have it internalized in, in, our, in our being. Um, and so, and I, I really felt the Spirit leading me to say this in this series at the very beginning. As I'm teaching this, if you've been here for any length of time, for some of you it'll be brand new and it could blow your mind. For others, you've heard this. It's part of the culture now. We've, we've developed a culture of this love and non-judgment. But if your brain starts saying, oh, I've heard that before, blah, 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 I encourage you to listen to the Spirit who is saying, don't just hear what he's saying, lean into it. Lean into it. Let it saturate you. You know, Jesus at one point said, you're sanctified by my word. You're set apart by my word. His words don't just inform, they transform. And truth doesn't just inform, it transforms. And so as we're going through this all-important series on the centrality of love and the importance of collapsing the, judgment, the judgments in our brain in order so, so we can perfectly love, as we're going through this, let it just see it as taking a shower. Let it soak you, just saturate you. Let, 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 let the word of truth just like wash away everything in your being that is not of God, everything that's a, a lie, all the lies that we've believed, the untruths that we've acquired, the, 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 the polluting habits of thought that we've acquired, let it wash those things away to free us to be a people who have an outrageous capacity to love like the world doesn't normally love. I pray that this series is used to just inflame us with this hot fire desire to love all people at all times in all situations, no if and buts, exception clauses, fine print, or anything else. To live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. It's not primarily about information. It's about saturation. So I'm not going to worry about repeating myself. It's necessary for us to be saturated with the truth, sanctified by the truth, set apart by the truth, set free by the truth to be the people that God called us to be. And if you think you're already there, I guarantee you, you're not. If you think you're already there, identify that thought as a deception. I, I, I know that deception. You've already, you, you think you can check the box off on this one and move on to the next thing. The whole point of this series is there is no next thing. <laughs> this is everything. This is Christianity 101 and this is Christianity PhD. This is the first thing we need to know as disciples about learning to live in love and collapsing our judgment mechanisms. It's the first thing Christianity 101. But it's also PhD and postgraduate. We'll never outgrow the need to hear this message. Never. Not until we're perfected and transformed completely into the image of, of Jesus Christ. Frankly, I, 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 I entered into this series thinking, well, this is going to be a review, and so I got to try to find a clever way to repackage it. But I, 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 as, I've put, as I've been wrestling with this thing and putting together this message this morning, I really, it stopped feeling like it was a review. I feel like the Lord was saying, stop thinking about it as a, as a review. This isn't rehashing old stuff. There's a sense of freshness and of urgency that I feel about this message. You know, yeah, we, we gave this in 2002 and, and it was all new there and, and it, it, it was fresh, it was exciting, and it was transformative and praise God for that. 
But a whole lot has changed in the last 20 years. Somebody say amen. We live in a different world. And we live in a different country, us here in America. And you who are online, apply to your own country as it, as it fits. But the world has changed. The hostility-o-meter has been cranked way up. And the polarizing-o-meter has been turned way up. The hatred-o-meter has been turned way up. I mean, you can feel it. Uh, the polarization is just incredible. I don't know if ever there was a time when America loved, you know, Americans loved their fellow American more than they loved their differences. If there was a love that bound, bound us, I don't know. But if there ever was a, a kind of a love for your fellow American that used to bind Americans together, it seems to be gone. It got sucked out of the room. It's been happening for a long, long time, but it's been accelerated in the last several years. And the polarization is just incredible. I mean, even our, the, the leaders that we elect into the halls of office, and the way they talk now is different than the way they used to talk. I mean, they used to disagree with each other for sure and thought each other was stupid. That's, that, that goes without saying, but now it's, they refer to each other as evil. They hate America. They're against voting. They're baby killers. They hate women's rights. They're to destroy the world. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, the rhetoric has just gotten so hostile and nasty. The atmosphere is toxic. And it's like the, this country's been saturated with so many judgments, all these opinions, strong opinions. And people brag about it. I say what's ever on my mind. I say it like it is. Well, good for you. That's great. Please share more. <laughs> like we need more opinions. And all these judgments have fallen on us, and the judgments are so thick, it keeps us from seeing the basic humanity in one another, and the basic decency or the goodness in one another, let alone the, the rationality in one another. People just become, in light of all of our judgments, they just become evil. And if they're just evil, well, then you just got to squash them. You got to stop them at any cost. And there's more than just a few people who are really concerned about this. The level of hostility I've heard a number of times by historians is unprecedented since the Civil War. And some worry that that's the direction that we're actually headed. I, I thank God for, it's just when you know Bill Doherty, uh, a great, great friend of mine, and, and he, he's been on stage here, he's talked here, he's been part of our church community for the last two years, and he's one of the co-founders of this group called Braver Angels. And, and I, 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 I just love this group. Amen. Give them a hand. Braver angels. These are folks who are trying to be peacemakers in this country of increasing polarization. And I, I would like you to keep Bill Doherty in particular and braver angels in prayer. Um, actually, in, maybe in, in the future there'll be time to flush more of this out. But some doors have opened up for Bill in, 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 in the halls of Congress to go in and, and they know they're in trouble. They know they don't like each other. The two sides, they hate, and, and, and they know government's not working. And so they're inviting them to come in and say, will you help us try to understand each other and get along? And, 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 and so far, it's been going spectacularly. I, I, I refer to Bill as Captain America because if there's any hope for America, I think it's him. So uh, pray for Captain America, Bill Doherty. And, 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 and by the way, I would say this, that if, if you find yourself starting to get caught up in the polarization process, if you find yourself sometimes thinking to yourself, how could those idiots possibly think that? 
that I would encourage you to get on this website and just check out. They have some debates uh, where they, they debate every kind of hot topic you can imagine. They have seminars on depolarization, how to get detoxed from the hostility of this atmosphere. And I encourage you to use that as a way of depolarizing yourself. Because as kingdom people, it's so important we stay above this fray. Amen? And, and, and don't join in the shouting match that's, that's going on. So thank God for that and pray for him. But as things stand right now, things are pretty ugly as they stand right now. And tragically, the church has got caught up in this ugliness to a large degree. You've got um, 80 plus percent of those who identify as evangelical conservative Christian. They identify solidly with the, 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 the right wing political machinery and the, the mainline progressive churches. They tend to uh, align with the left wing political machinery. And so instead of offering the world something different from what the world already has, instead of showing the world a different way, a loving way of discussing difficult topics, instead of modeling what it looks like to live under this different king in this different kingdom, the church just has joined in the shouting match and put a Jesus stamp on one side or the other. And that's, that's, that's tragic and sad, but it's also not totally surprising. Because the church has been being co-opted by the powers for quite some time here in this country. And right now, it seems to me, in this, in this season that we're in, the powers, the polarizing powers, are, are working with incredible strength. They're strong. You can feel it. I mean, we're always in a war zone. And as, as kingdom ambassadors, we've got to know that. There's always spiritual powers that are pulling at us to fragment us. But Paul says in Ephesians 6, it's true of all time. We, our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers and authorities in dark places. Um, our enemies never other human beings, flesh and blood human beings. It's always the powers that are trying to get us to think that flesh and blood are our enemies. Because if we're shooting at other flesh and blood, we're not shooting at them. That's true at all times. We're, we live in this war zone. But some seasons, the powers, for whatever reasons, are able to exercise a greater influence than at other times. And right now, they're exerting an incredible influence. And a lot of us, I'm sure of it, can feel it. You feel it. There's a pull. You can identify it in yourself as, as like this pull, pull towards self-righteousness. If you're ever watching the TV and you're thinking, oh yeah, we have it right. Those idiots have it wrong. You're, you're, you're succumbing to the powers. Begin to look at the other person as not a human being, but as a this or a that, an ideology, a problem that needs to be solved, something that needs to be gotten rid of. You're being, you're being succumbed, you're succumbing to the powers. They're, they're operating strong here. I find I have to work overtime to make sure I'm getting the news from different perspectives. I got to work overtime to get on Braver Angels and detox from my polarization. Because the powers are, at this season, right now, working in a strong way. You can feel it. I worry about you if you don't feel it. Because that means, probably, either you're checked out of the whole game, and I don't blame you for that, or you've succumbed and don't realize it. Your rightness is so obvious to you that you don't realize how many judgments you're holding against the people who disagree with you. But the powers are operating, and they're operating strong. But Woodland Hills... If, if, if this is your community, if you identify this, whether you're in-house or 
online. If, if you identify this, Woodland Hills is your community, or your resource, your mothership, whatever, however you identify, then, then listen to this. Yes, the powers are operating strong right now, but it is all important, all important. It is imperative, it's mandatory that we resist them, that we stand strong against them, that we stand strong united in a love that is greater than political differences that we might have, than the cultural differences, than ethnic differences, than socioeconomic differences, ideological differences. It's imperative that we stand strong, stand fast with the full armor of God to resist the powers of polarization that are working overtime in the culture to fragment people and are working overtime in the church to fragment us. I have this sense, and I, I felt like I was supposed to say this. I'm not saying thus says the Lord, but I'm just saying I, I have a sense of gravitas about this word right here. And the word is, we are entering a season of testing. We are already being tested. In fact, every time you feel the pull to think about the other as the idiot, as the evil people, you're being tested. Every time you're, you, you have an impulse, a temptation to think a thought about a person other than love, you're being tested. It's just that we're so used to not loving that we don't realize that's a test. We forgot the main goal. But we're entering a season. We're always, there's always a testing going on, but this season is intense. And as we talked about several weeks ago, we, we, we had a teaching on, on testing. And on the one hand, there's an enemy dimension to it, and on the other hand, there's a God dimension to it. The enemy intends it for evil. Would love to destroy us, divide us, just do what he's doing across this land. Fragment us, reduce us to a shouting match. But what the enemy intends for evil, God intends for good, praise God. And, and if we will stand fast in our commitment and hold fast to this unique, distinct kingdom and not let ourselves get siloed into these, these barricaded walls where we're just listening to, to people who agree with us, if we will resist that, this testing will make us stronger, praise God. It'll make us shine brighter. It will transform us more into the likeness of Christ. And so this series is really a call to prepare for battle. In fact, we're in the battle. It's time to stand strong, and we stand strong against the powers when we refuse to not love people. We refuse, however, however heinous we may think they are, however disgusting we may think their lifestyle is, however putrid we may think their ideology is, however bad we may think their breath smells, however much we may disagree with their parenting style, I don't care what it is. We only win this battle when we refuse to not love. We will love no matter what. No if, ands, but, exception clauses, fine print, out clauses, take backs, or whatever. No, the call is to love them, regardless of what we may see in their life. Our motto is learning to love together. And I will tell you, initially, I thought that was that slogan, Janice proposed, and I thought, well, that's about as bland as a slogan could be. But I right now think it's the most profound statement in the world. It, it, it will never all grow this one. Learning to love together. We either do this or we lose our reason for existing. <laughs> this is it, folks. Everything is on the line with this. Learning to love together. Having a love that transcends this. So, so here's the thing. I, I believe that our integrity as ambassadors of the kingdom is on the line. And our willingness to stand up against the powers and refuse to be polarized and to refuse to ever not love somebody. I believe that our, our, our witness as children of God is on the line and are being willing to have a love that's greater than all the reasons for division that the enemy throws our way.
We're called to have a love that is centered on Christ, that is fueled by Christ, that, is being, that transforms us into the image of Christ, and that glorifies Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. That's what we're called to do. It's, it's, it's the center of the center. That's going to be tested. You know, uh, here's the thing. Jesus calls Matthew to be a disciple, and Matthew is a tax collector. The tax collectors were the ultra-conservatives of the day in, in, in the Jewish world. They were the defenders of the status quo. They worked for the Roman government. And then Jesus calls Simon, who's a zealot. And zealots were the left of the left in the Jewish first century world. They, they were the radicals. They, they hated the Roman government. They hated the status quo. They would sometimes go all the way to assassinate Roman officials. And sometimes they go out of the way to assassinate tax collectors who work for the Roman officials. Jesus says, Matthew, come and be my disciple. And then Jesus says, Simon, come and be my disciple. Now, I'm sure they had a lot of interesting fireside conversations in the evening. I'm sure. But what's fascinating to me is that we don't read about it in the Gospels. What really fascinates me is we don't read about it in Matthew's Gospel. You know, uh, there's a first century historian, or actually early second century Christian historian named Papias. And he was the second generation Christian. He was in touch with first generation Christians. And he makes this note that Matthew was the note taker. Wherever Jesus went, Matthew was taking notes. Which fits his profile. He's a tax collector. He's going to be an accountant. He's, he, he, he likes to keep the record straight kind of a guy. I, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but I, in fact, this may be a first. I don't know if I've ever endorsed a Christian movie or television series from the pulpit. I don't know if I ever have. I may have, but I don't remember it because, generally speaking, I don't like Christian movies or Christian television series. I just, I don't. I, I, they, they just strike me as, <laughs> I, I want to become a Taoist or a Buddhist or something. Um, but, okay, but here's one. If you haven't seen it yet, I encourage you to see it. It's The Chosen. I'm telling you, it's good. And, and, and the way they, they capture, I, when I think about Matthew, it's, it's exactly the way they portray Matthew in The Chosen. It's, it's, it's just brilliant. But see, it would be easy. You know, Matthew and Simon, they naturally would have loathed each other. <laughs> they would have hated each other. And I could understand it if Matthew, in, in writing the gospel of Matthew, if you would have put in a couple digs, that would have been understandable. Matthew, the idiot zealot, you know, just a little, little side comment. He gets to write the book, right? And, and we have to believe him, so I can see him doing that. Kind of the way John, if you read John's gospel, he's always kind of bragging on himself. The disciple who Jesus loved. You know, and, and the humanness comes through. So I would have expected a little of the humanness of Matthew to come through in, in, in the gospel of Matthew. But there isn't any. He's about, he speaks about Matthew, he speaks about Simon in, in totally respectful ways. He even mentions he's a zealot, but he doesn't make any comment about that. He might have been grinding his teeth when he wrote it, man. But it didn't come out in the text. And see, I, the silence of this is, I think, deafening. These two are farther apart. Matthew and Simon, they're farther apart than, 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 than uh, what's her name? Uh, AOC or A, uh, what's her name? A, the real liberal gal, what's her name? Uh, or Cortez? A, 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 AOC? Oh, okay. So they're farther apart than AOC and Donald Trump. Which is saying a lot, all right? I mean, these folks are at opposite ends of the political spectrum, and yet, 
The fact that we don't see a word about it, that Jesus never hints like who's more right and who's wrong, shows us that when we have Jesus in common, when we have a commitment to the kingdom of God in common, when we have this commitment to live in love in common, the, the particular differences we have about what government should do, how government should run, what laws should be passed, what policies should be had, etc., etc., those differences of opinion become inconsequential. Why? Because we're ambassadors of a different kingdom and a different king, praise God, and manifesting a different kind of love in this world, praise God. So our understanding of the kingdom has got to be one in which the Matthews of this world and the Simons of this world find a place alongside of one another. And have a common cause in advancing the unique kingdom of God. Praise God. This message on judgment and, 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 and love is always important. It's always crucial for us to be reminded of this. But I have a sense that it's never been more important than now when love has gotten sucked out of the room. This is the time for God's people to shine. And so I pray that this series that we're in is, is going to wake us up. Uh, wake us up to the reality of the, uh, the powers that are trying to pull us apart. Wake us up to the centrality and the all importance of, 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 of living in love as Christ loved us. I pray this wakes us up to the ways in which we've already been co-opted by the powers without even knowing it. We just have gotten acclimated to it. And, 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 and the ways that we've got judgments in our mind that are blocking God's love coming to us and flowing through us, I pray that this series wakes us up and empowers us to be the people of God that God calls us to be, who replicate the love of the triune God in all of our interactions with other people, whether they're, whether they're friends or family or foe. Amen? Amen. That's the hope for this series. So... The rest of this message, we're going to just lay the first cornerstone of the foundation for everything. Um, start by asking the question, what is love? And then why in the New Testament is it so important? And that's the cornerstone of the foundation that we'll be building on as we go into the series in the future. And please resist the, if you find yourself ever thinking, oh gosh, I've heard that before. Let it serve as a reminder to lean in and listen harder, listen deeper. Let this soak you. Don't just let it lodge as information, but rather let it get in deeper. Lean into it, let it soak you, let it wash away everything that's not of God to free you to be the, the loving Christian that God's called you to be. So what is love? What is love? It's a crucial question because, you see, history shows us that if you don't have a definition of what love is, we human beings are capable of doing atrocious, nasty, evil things in the name of love. So what is love? What is love? And see, what complicates is that we use love for all sorts of different things. You know, I love my dog and I love my wife, but I don't love my wife like a dog, all right? We, we use the same word. Oh, I just love your hair. I love the carpet. So this word has got such general usage. And usually it's associated with what I approve of, what I like, what pleases me. But the kind of love that the Bible's talking about that we're to aspire to, the kind of love that God is and that we're to aspire towards, well, it's not about a feeling, it's not about a warm fuzzy, it's not about a hormone buzz, it's not about any of that. The Bible says this in 1 John 3.16, here's the definition of love. Here's how we know what love is. Lock it in. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, so also we should lay down our life for one another. Love is about receiving and then passing on this other-oriented posture. Love is about ascribing worth to another at cost to yourself. That's what God does for us. He, God is saying on the cross, here's what you're worth 
by what he's willing to pay for us. And in this case, God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, becomes a human being and then becomes our sin and then becomes the cursed consequence of our sin. Uh, God goes to this infinite extreme. And in doing that, out of love for us, he's saying, you are worth everything to me. You have unsurpassable worth. You couldn't have more worth to me than you have because he paid a price that's greater than, he couldn't pay a greater price. That's what love is. You show what a person's worth to you by what you're willing to sacrifice for them. It's, it's this other-oriented love. And that's the kind of love that God is. God is this love throughout eternity. God is pouring out God's self to one another. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then the creation of the world, God pours himself out to us. And, and, and our, our most fundamental job, if you're a follower of Jesus, it means this if it means anything at all. That if he's Lord, you agree with his opinions. You can't correct your Lord. You can't correct your Lord. If he's Lord, he's right. Can we agree on that? So if he says that this human being in front of you has unsurpassable worth, your most fundamental job as a Jesus follower is to agree with God about that. This person has unsurpassable worth. And then to reflect your agreement with God by how you think about them and how you speak about them and how you speak to, to them and how you interact with them. And, if circumstances warrant it, how you sacrifice for them. Even the fact that you take a moment of time to say, to say to yourself, oh, this person has unsurpassable worth, I agree with you, God. That's a little bit of a sacrifice. You could have spent it thinking about something else. So that's good. And that's what makes it loving. But you look for opportunities. There are other ways that you can sacrifice to show this person what they're worth. And that has got to be true. It's, it's true just because of what God has done for you. This is how God loved you. And now your job is to repeat that towards all other human beings at all times, no if, and, buts, or exception clauses. So it doesn't matter what your opinion is of this person, whether you approve or disapprove, agree or disagree, whether you like it or don't like it, whether you find it attractive or repulsive, it doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter what their lifestyle is, it doesn't matter what their cultural background is, doesn't matter what their religion is, their beliefs are, it doesn't matter whether they're a friend holding a bouquet to your, a flowers to your nose or a gun to your head, it doesn't matter. Your call remains the same. It's invariant. Because God is invariant. Live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. So why Paul could say in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, I resolve to know nothing among you except this one thing, and that is Jesus Christ crucified. Think about that statement. Because in, in saying that, Paul is saying the only thing he needs to know about anybody is Jesus Christ crucified. He doesn't even want to know anything else about anybody except Jesus Christ crucified. Because if I know Jesus Christ crucified, here's what I know about you. And it's the most important thing about you. I know that you're a sinner. Because Jesus had to die for you. So, so you're, you're, you're a pretty bad sinner. Not as bad as my, me, but you are a sinner. And... Uh, and, and, and yet, God thought you have unsurpassable worth and did everything possible in the universe to have a reconciled relationship with you. That's all I need to know. You are a sinner who is loved, unsurpassably loved by God. And my job on this planet, my reason for being in this moment is to agree with God about that. Yes, God, I agree. And now to become a conduit by which God expresses to that person their unsurpassable worth. That's our job description. Most fundamentally, that's what we're called to do. And everything hangs upon that. That's why we always say that if, if, 
If a person hasn't invited you in to have an opinion about them, they haven't said, hey, will you help me live out this kingdom of life by like having my back, you know, keeping your eyes on me and, and tell me when you see things that are off. And we all need people like that in our life. But if a person hasn't invited you to ha- play that role in their life, you're allowed one opinion about them. And that is that they have unsurpassable worth and they were worth Jesus dying for. Agree with God about that. And then begin to express that agreement by how you bless them and how you just love them how you interact with them and, and how you think about them and how you speak about them and how you speak to them. And if the occasion arises, how you're willing to sacrifice for them. That is our job description and everything hangs upon us doing that. To do that, we've got to resist the powers that are pulling in the absolute opposite direction and they are strong in this season that we're in right now. So that's what love is. The kind of love that God is and the kind of love that we're called to replicate is the kind of love that gives itself away. That's why we're so big on serving people here. That's why we take up, we are, you know, a person said to me a couple of months ago, I guess, you guys are always asking for money. It's like, yeah. And that's because there's a lot of needs out there. <laughs> yeah, and so we, we are. Because this is what we do. We're the people who sacrifice for others. Uh, this, this is what binds us together. And it's all important. So I want to end this, this uh, uh, message this morning by just talking about one aspect of this foundation. Oh gosh, we're done to the last. Okay, I'm going to go over this fast. Wow. It's 11.07 already. That, that, that's that's got to be wrong. That's not right. That's not right, is it? Okay, get this. This is going to be fast. It, it, this is our central mandate, you guys. Just, just, just gather this. Um, 1 John 3, for this is the message you've heard from the beginning. It's like, there's only one message, and that's that we're supposed to love one another. 1 John 4, 21, the commandment we have from him is this, uh, that we, we who love God must love our brothers and sisters also. It's, it's a contradiction to say you love God and not be loving people. Those are two sides of the same coin. Uh, Jesus says that. We'll look at more of that next week. 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let everything you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. Everyone say All. I looked up the Greek word on this. The Greek word for all, pan, means all. (laughs) Everything. That everything you do be done in love. So if you can't do it in love, don't do it. So I always say that if if you're in a discussion of a hot topic, political, religious, whatever, and, and, and winning the debate becomes more important than showing love towards the other person, love defined as the cross, ascribing worth to another at cost to yourself, if ever winning the debate becomes more important than, 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 than loving the person, or how you look to others becomes more important than loving the person, please do the kingdom a favor and shut up. Because you can win the debate, but you're going to lose it if you're not doing it in love. It means that every conversation we have, the number one goal, you might want to you know, score some points and win the debate or whatever, whatever your agenda is, but the number one goal has got to be showing the person that we love them. That we care about them. And that means listening to them. It means showing respect for them. Uh, it means being humble towards them. Let everything you do be done in love. If you can't do it in love, then don't do it. <coughs> Ephesians 5, be imitators of God. Imitate God. The word there in Greek is mimetai. Do exactly what you see another doing. So, so we're to mimic God. Now, how do you mean that God, God's spirit? You know, you can't see God. Well, Paul says, here's how you do it. You live in love as Christ loved you and gave his life for you. He shows you how to imitate God by pointing to Jesus, which tells you a lot about what Paul thought about Jesus. He was God incarnate. You imitate God by living in the kind of love that Jesus had towards you. And this is something we're to live in. That means we don't visit this once in a while. We don't choose to do it sometimes, but not others. 
You live in it. It means if you're breathing, it's the right time to love. If, if you've got a heartbeat, it's the right time to love. If you've got any brain activity at all, it's the right time to love. Deciding whether it's the right time to love, love or not depends nothing on the merits of the person in front of you. Doesn't depend on whether they deserve it or not, whether they're friend, friend or foe. Your call to love is based on who God is and who you are. God is love and he's empowered us to live in that love 24-7. Colossians 3, 14, above all, clothe yourselves with love. I told you I looked up that word all. Guess what it means? All. Above everything else, clothe yourself with love. Peter agrees when he says, above all, maintain constant love for one another. This is the most important thing. Yes, Doctrine is important. Having theological truth is important. Studying the Bible is important. Having good classes is important. Running an efficient church is important. But more important than any of that is that we clothe ourselves with love. Don't go out of the house naked. No, no, you clothe yourself in the love of Jesus Christ. The love that God has for you is the love that you're to be spending towards all others at all times. This means this is priority number one. Priority number one. I can it's just a little brain zinger. You know, in church history, it just is a sign of how far off the church has gotten. Christians put to death heretics for a thousand reasons. Sometimes burning them at the stake. My, Calvin burned Michael Servetus at the stake, 1553. Burns them at the stake for being a heretic. Because he wouldn't say the word eternal before the word son. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He had a, an aberrant view of the Trinity. Now, having an aberrant view or a heretical view of the Trinity is a serious heresy. I will agree with that. But who is the greater heretic? Michael Servetus for having a wrong view of the Trinity, or Calvin for burning him alive for having the wrong view of the Trinity? If the most important thing is love, then the most important sin is not loving. And yet throughout church history, I, I don't have one record, I don't know one record of, of anyone having their wrist slapped for not loving enough. Yeah, we'll burn you alive for being a witch or a Muslim or a Jew or denying the Trinity, but we don't even notice when people are unloving, such as when they burn someone alive for being a heretic. And yet we hold these folks up as heroes. Folks, this is, this is the all or nothing of the kingdom. And... Um, this is the bullseye. If we, if we get this down, everything else we need to get down will get you gotten down. But if we don't get this down, then nothing else we do is worth getting down. It all comes down to this. And if there's any part of your brain that's saying, yeah, I've heard that before, then tell that part of your brain to shut up and listen. Lean into this. This is all important. A time of testing is coming upon us. It will serve to make us stronger if we double down, triple down, quadruple down on our commitment to ever not love a human being. So let me ask you just two questions. Number one, think back on this last week. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you be honest because that's the hardest thing, to be really honest with yourself. But remind yourself that God already knows everything about you and he loves you anyways. So it's safe. Be honest. This is just to learn. When this last week have you thought about people, or maybe spoken about people, or maybe spoken to people, or interacted with people in ways that were less than absolutely loving, that didn't reflect the love of Calvary? Ask the Holy Spirit to help you notice those times. When have you not been loving? And, and, and when that comes to your, your awareness, I don't want you to be groveling or going to this how miserable sinner you are. The enemy will try to jump on you for that maybe. No, just set it aside and say, confess it, that, that's sin. Whatever is not of love is sin. So that's, you're a sinner, so confess that. 
and then turn from that. That's called repenting. You just turn from it. I don't want to be that way anymore. I don't want to gossip anymore. I don't want to slander about people anymore. Then the Bible has a lot to say about slander, which is simply speaking evil of someone. And maybe you don't gossip about people live, but maybe you do. But even if you don't, I bet you gossip in your head. That's slander. Set it aside. And now the second question is this. Can you get a picture of yourself where you're not doing that anymore? Can you get a picture of yourself where in those situations where you're trying to like, you're, 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 you're inclined to dig it into somebody, to gossip about them, slander about them, or at least think evil about them, those stupid idiots, how could they think that way? Uh, can you get a picture of yourself where you don't do that, but rather you love the people? Where every one of those judgments serves to remind you that your job is to love them. And there are situations we'll get into in, in, in this series where, like, well, how do you love them if they're, like, beating up somebody or, or a crime's committed? You know, are you just supposed to sit there and bless them and let them do that? We'll, we'll get into that. But right now, let's get the basics down. Our default has got to be to love at all times, all people, all situations, no ifs, no ands, no buts, no exception clauses. So Holy Spirit, help us to lock this down, get this down, and commit to it. Get a vision of yourself doing that and then lock in. That is your true self. That's what faith is. Faith is a, a vision of things that you don't yet see, but you believe to be true. See yourself as this loving person. You're, you're better than the one who gossips and slanders and hates and, and, and bickers and all the rest. Everybody does that. Can we be different? And everything hangs on our willingness to be different. Everything hangs on this. I'm going to close in prayer, but I'll just say that, that uh, uh, don't forget, on Tuesdays we've got the Muse broadcast, which goes uh, deeper on, this, on these topics. You can flush it out more. We've got gather groups. We encourage you to be part of gather groups. Some wonderful things are happening in those gathering groups. Um, we've got prayer after the service online and in-house, uh, depending on where you're at. And I encourage you to take advantage of that. And finally, if you're going to be here next week, uh, please let us know if you have kids so that we have enough kids, uh, we have enough workers to, to take care of our kids. But Abba, Father, I just pray, Lord, that you baptize us in your love, baptize us in your love, baptize us in your love, soak us, saturate us, cleanse us, free us, renew us, transform us to be your outrageous loving people in this, in this, in this, in this climate in which... This darkness and a lack of love all around us help us to be a people who shine the light of your love to all around us in every way, shape, and form we can. Let us be the change we want to see in the world. Begin it with us. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go out and love on the world. Amen. Uh.